0: Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Johnson and this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I believe in the and approach to life and business instead of the either or. This show is my attempt to help financial advisors create unlimited growth and freedom in their life and their business through wide-ranging conversations with some of the most brilliant and interesting people on the planet. We refer to this mission as DBDL, Doing Business and Doing Life.
1: Welcome to the Do Business, Do Life podcast. This is Kristen Shea. And today's episode is a masterclass on creating influence and building trust. Brad's going to be talking to Bob Berg. He's a global business thought leader, best author of the book, The Go Giver, which, you know, in addition to having a casual million copies sold worldwide, was ranked by Inc. magazine as one of the top 10 most motivational books ever written. And for the past 30 years, Bob has helped companies and their teams to more effectively communicate their value, sell at higher prices and with less friction, and grow their businesses. And in today's conversation between Brad and Bob, we're going to learn how you can communicate with your clients and prospects more effectively always good, improve your ability to navigate difficult conversations, very important in our business and create an environment where your clients and prospects feel safe and comfortable to share the things that they typically wouldn't open up about because word on the street is talking about your money isn't always an easy thing to do. And the more openly people can talk to you about their money, the easier your job will be to create a profound impact. We're going to dig into his framework, the five secrets of genuine influence, which are going to include one, mastering your emotions, two, stepping into your client's shoes, three, setting the frame, four, communicating with tact and empathy, love that, and five, letting go of the need to be right. There's some really great gold nuggets about mastering your emotions, staying calm in high pressure situations, especially from an interpersonal point of view. Really enjoyed that. Also really enjoyed the discussion around the unconscious operating system that typically holds us back from truly understanding and effectively communicating with not just our clients, but the people in our lives, the people we serve, the people we lead. And before we get into the show, we've got a special gift for you guys. If you have any guesses on what it is, and you guessed it was a book, you're right. Love, Bob. and. You know, a lot of people are familiar with The Go-Giver, right? Million copies sold, top 10, one of the best business books written of all time. But what a lot of people don't know is that The Go-Giver as a sales book is actually a part of a series. There's The Go-Giver Leadership, Go-Giver Influencer, which is the book that we're discussing in today's conversation. There are a couple others. And as a special give to DBDL listeners. We bought up a box of Bob's books and we're gonna be mailing all of them out until they're all gone. So what to do next if you want your free copy first grab the DBDL Insider phone number. It's in the show notes. I'll give it to you now, 785-800-3235. You're going to text the number nine, not the word. It's going to automate the process of you getting your book. So when you text the number nine, we're going to automatically send you a text with a link that drops you directly onto the Apple podcast page where we're going to ask you to leave an honest, honest, graciously asking you to leave an honest review of your favorite episode or of the show in general. And once you've done that, take a screenshot of it, Text it back to the DBDL insider phone number inside that text stream. We'll confirm your details and we'll have a copy of the book on its way to you. Quick disclosure on text messaging. Text message and data rates may apply. You can opt out of receiving text messages at any time by replying stop to any message you receive. We're not uh spamming people on this phone number by any means, but you can basically opt out at any time. You just text stop. Okay. But you know how disclosures go sometimes and make you a little bit nervous. So I promise we are not using this phone number to berate people's text message inbox. It's really just to help deliver value. And in this case, free book copies from amazing people. Quick apology to our international listeners, by the way, outside of the US due to crazy high shipping prices, we can only ship these out domestically. So please support Bob and just go grab a copy at your local bookstore on Amazon if you enjoy this conversation and want to learn more. If you want the show notes to this episode, including links to all the resources, books mentioned, people discussed, you can visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash nine. This is episode nine. Again, you can text nine to the DVDL Insider phone number to get a free copy of the book. And as always, thank you for listening. It's been an amazing couple of months since we relaunched the show. Everyone's getting their swag boxes from the DVDL Insider crew. We love seeing all of your posts on social media. This has really just been such an honor and a joy and a blast to see how much this belief that we have that you don't have to choose between having success in your business and success in your life. It doesn't have to be the either or you can create unlimited growth, freedom and joy in your business and life. So without further delay, another amazing conversation between Brad Johnson and uh, his friend, brilliant mind and incredible person, Bob Berg.
0: Welcome to another episode of Financial Advisor Evolution. Excited to have Bob Berg here with us today. Welcome to the show, Bob.
2: Thanks, Brad. Always great to be able to speak with you. It's been a couple of years now, so great to reconnect.
0: Yeah, a couple of uh, crazy years in between yeah. our, our last interview and today. Mm-hmm. So we were, just, we were just talking before we went live here, so why don't we just start here? Obviously, in your profession, an uh, author, public speaker, live events pre-COVID was a really big thing. And then nobody did any of those for a while. Everything went Zoom and virtual like we are here today. And now I feel like the world's getting back into meeting in person again. What learnings did you have that could impact financial advisors out there, business leaders out there from just like this whole business evolution we've gone through here recently?
2: Well, you know, Brad, if anything, I think it's knowing that human nature is such that where people will at first kind of react with panic, which is what people did at first. Right. They'll then start to go into response mode. And figure out what needs to be done, and we saw that with as as you mentioned Zoom, right? Where mm-hmm. before it was, oh no, no, you, you know that was never gonna, you, you could never really replace the the person to person or the in person meeting or the in person communication with with Zoom. And not that it replaces <clears throat> it, I think it's an and, it's not an or, but you know it's not an or, but but we we did because we had to, right? Yeah, and, and I think that's what we that's what we saw people people began to adapt and adjust and they did what they needed to do in order to um, make things work.
0: I mean, the bottom line, that one of the things that I took from it too, Bob, along those same lines was humans need connection, whether that's basically they got it however they could at that point, which was mm-hmm. through you know video interface here. Mm-hmm. But I think the interesting thing that I saw with business is how business had to evolve, uh, especially in financial services. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of our offices now uh, virtual Zoom interviews was a thing they always thought maybe someday, and then it became a reality because it had to be. And have you seen that across other business verticals as well, where I think at one point, if you were going to do a meeting, everybody had to fly halfway across oh, yeah. the country for a three-hour meeting. How have you seen that impact other verticals that you deal in?
2: Oh, I, I mean, I think you're right on the mark. It it absolutely did. But, you know, you also make a great point, though, about that human-to-human connection. Because I've known, and, and you know, when we were talking with me, I, I don't love to travel. So, to me, mm-hmm. I, I would love to do every keynote on uh, Zoom, right? But no, that hasn't happened now that now that we could get back to being in person, now, it's amazing how quickly people got over Zoom., right? yeah. and now the in person events. However, I also think, to a point, you know, that what the, what do they say? Once the mind is stretched, it never go, it reverts back to its original shape, or or what mm-hmm. have you. I probably messed that up, but I think you know what I mean. So yeah. now there are a lot more though meetings where no, we don't have to meet in person. Now we can meet through Zoom. It's now appropriate. It's now acceptable to do that. So it 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 provides those options. Yeah, but yeah. The, the, but the the in person connection is definitely it's human and it's desirable.
0: Let's transition here to, I know one of the, our very first interview we ever did, we really dove into the go-giver and kind of the five principles of what that means. And for those that aren't familiar with Bob, author, speaker, go-giver is one of those most business books, a parable really, that has all kinds of business lessons woven in. And I know more recently, I mean, the book's been published all over the world. You, I don't know if you call this a re-release or, or what an author would call, but the go-giver influencer is a new iteration on, on the take and some of those principles. So I would love for you to dive into those a bit and maybe apply that to maybe it's the connection side, maybe it's the leadership side. I know you speak on a lot of those topics.
2: Yeah, it's a sequel. I mean, it, there are were, there were four books, actually, in the go Giver series. There's the mm-hmm. Go-Giver, which is the one we discussed. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there's Go-Givers Sell More, which is the only one in the series that's not a parable. It's more of an application guide to the Go-Giver itself. Then there's the Go-Giver mm-hmm. Leader. And then the last one that John David, man, he's my awesome co-author, and he's the lead writer yeah. and storyteller. Believe me, he's a genius. I'm just, you know, how to. I'm step one, step two, step three. And mm-hmm. uh, and so the, our last one was the Go-Giver uh, Influence which is really about people skills. And you know Brad, I really believe that in any profession, and especially when it comes to to financial services, when it comes to the financial advisors we know, people skills is really the difference maker between that successful advisor and that stratospherically mm-hmm. successful advisor. Uh, you know, because it really and we've talked about the personal connection. It is about the connection. It is about the relationship. You know, it begins and ends there. You know, it's why we say that all things being equal, people do business with and refer business to. Those people or those advisors, they know, like, and trust. And people skills is a big part of of being able to do that. What we call genuine influence, it can really be defined as the ability to get the results you want when working with others in such a way that they feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. This can be challenging sometimes, right? Because again, we're dealing with people, and people are emotion-driven. They're ego-driven. They they have their own ways of of, uh, of pursuing happiness and interacting with others that don't necessarily, you know, jive with ours. So, if we were to talk about the five uh, principles of this, it begins with mastering your emotions, all right? It's really where it all begins. You know, the sages said, they asked, who is mighty? And they answered, that person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy a friend. Now, it might not be an enemy, but it might be being able to take someone who is disagreeing with us or taking an issue that is just very difficult and being able to bring everyone together as a like mind. This is so important because it's only when we're in control of our own emotions, when we're in control of ourselves, that we're even in a position to take a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a win for everyone involved. Hey, we all so admire that person who no matter what's going on right around them, they just remain calm. They remain cool. They're able to make decisions logically as opposed to right reacting and and so forth. We admire ourselves when we act that way. And how often do we, based on what someone else says or does, do we allow ourselves to feel hurt or frustrated or victimized or angry, and we say mm-hmm. or do that very thing that not only is not productive in terms of of getting the results we we desire but are absolutely counterproductive so we you know we we'd have to ask the question, well, if we know better, well, why do we do that and the reason is is because we're human beings. And as human beings, we are emotional creatures. Uh, It's simply how we're built. Now, we like to think we're logical, right? We all like to think we're logical. And to a certain extent, we are. But we're pretty emotion-driven. We make (laughs) major, major decisions based on emotion. And we back up those emotional decisions with logic. We rationalize, which if you break the word rationalize into, it simply means we tell ourselves rational lies. And we do that (laughs) in order to justify that emotional decision we made or losing our head, losing our cool when we know it was not right the right thing to do. So, Brad, one thing I think is very important is to understand that we're certainly not saying you should... Deny your emotions or forego your emotions. Emotions are a very important part of life. They're a wonderful part of life. They bring us joy. They make life worthwhile. No, we're just saying make sure you are the master of your emotions as opposed to your emotions being the master of you. One of my great friends, leadership authority, Dondi Scumachi. I love how she says it. She says, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. Take counsel from those emotions. Okay. Let, you know, listen to them. They've got wisdom to share, but make sure the the logical part, the CEO part, right. Is the logical part of your mind. And they're the ultimate decision maker.
0: Yeah. So uh, there's five and I want to get to all five, but that one by itself, we could spend hours on. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it was once shared by a mentor to me, he said, leaders are calm, which you just hit calm and confident. And, uh, he actually shared there's a scene from We Are Soldiers, the Mel Gibson movie from back in the day, if you remember that one. He's the general and he's in the middle of battle and there's bullet, like he's standing and bullets are like, you know, whizzing by his head. Mm-hmm. But he's calm, which inspires obviously confidence in whoever's trying to follow you. And he's directing and easy to say, hard to do. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure you've heard the the Victor Frankel quote: uh, "Between stimulus and response, there's a space, and, and most people that's like a crack on a sidewalk, right? Between the yeah. the input and the emotional output." And I'm curious because I think conceptually people understand exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. but in the fire, it's really tough to actually do it. And so, any thoughts around how to actually not just want to do it, but say, okay? Yes, this person just came at me kind of hard. I'm going to give myself some space and then I'm going to react in a way that I'm going to be proud of ideas around how to actually pull that off in the real world.
2: This is where it's so important to retrain your brain to do that. The, the, the most difficult aspect of controlling one's emotions is when it happens at the moment. Right. And you're not ready for it. So what we suggest is this. I ask people, I you know when I do this at, at conferences, I will ask the audience members to just picture in their mind a situation or a person who just or that just pushes your emotional buttons every time. Okay, this person who says what they say or they do what they do, whatever. And it's, and picture what usually happens, okay? They say it or do this and you get angry and it's back and forth and it's a lousy situation, right? And every time you say, ah, I'm never gonna get sucked into that again. I'm never gonna do that again. That happens every time because you're not expecting it. So picture that happening and, and don't judge yourself. Just be with it for a second. Now I'm gonna ask you to see the same thing happening, this scenario. And again, it could be a situation, but let's just say it's a person. And this person says what they say or they do what they do. But now I want you to rather than react, I want you to go into response mode. And I want you to imagine yourself being, as you said, very calm, very in control, letting them Finish talking without interrupting them. I want you to see yourself having a calm demeanor and just a pleasant look on your face. I want you to just put out this great energy, and then you're going to respond with just the perfect calming words that defray the situation, that just bring this to a wonderful, wonderful feel-good, mutually beneficial conclusion. Okay. I want you just don't worry about the words; those those come later. But just imagine yourself doing that. Okay. Now, I want you to practice doing this practice it consciously and constantly, much like an astronaut, okay? Before they go into space on an actual mission, what are they going to do? He or she is going to do hundreds and hundreds of simulations. Why? Because heaven forbid, when they get up there and something happens, it's not a surprise. They've done it before. They've been there. They've done that. Now you might say, oh, Bob, you know, it's Still not the same as, you know, uh, imagining you're up in space isn't the same as being or not imagining, but going through the simulations isn't the same or or imagining handling a situation perfectly isn't the same as the actual. It's close enough because, as we know, the subconscious mind cannot distinguish between what has happened and what has been suggested to it over and over again with feeling. Okay, so you don't have to do this a hundred times, hundreds of times, but do it until you feel very confident that when this situation happens, you can handle it now. The next time it does, it's not gonna be a surprise. And you're gonna, and, and when this person says that thing or does that thing, you're actually gonna have a little conversation in your head. It's gonna be a nanosecond, though it's gonna seem like a a long time. Oh yeah, I remember Berg telling me this. That's right, he and Brad were talking and and they were talking about this. I've been practicing this, I know what to do. And you're gonna do that very thing. You're gonna respond beautifully and you're gonna be calm and you're gonna defray it. You're gonna say the perfect things and it's gonna be wonderful and it's gonna take this, this relationship to a new level, or it's going to just, you know, simply not bother you and you're not going to, and then once you, when you do this, really take pleasure in the fact that you handle it so well that you're now equipped to do so. Now, here's the thing, two things. One, the fact that you did it that one time perfectly means you can do it perfectly every single time. Now, the second point, you won't do it perfectly every time because you're human. We're all human. And every so often, we're still going to get caught in that, you know, kind of mind thing that happens. But I'll tell you, you start practicing some of these situations, doesn't have to be the exact thing, but the principal base of the situation that usually happens, start rehearsing this just like I talked about, like an astronaut going up into space. You will be amazed within a few weeks, you'll be a different person in terms of how you respond to situations instead of reacting. Not only are you going to feel better about yourself, other people are going to see this in you and you will be that person who becomes known for the way they just so wonderfully handle these usually tough situations.
0: You're really reminding me, have you ever crossed paths with a guy named Ian Cron before? No, he uh, no. talks a lot about the Enneagram. So he's a, he's a therapist Mm-hmm. And um, he talked about meditation being a way to create more of this self awareness and space. But what came to mind when you were kind of going through that astronaut example and kind of rehearsing the situation before it happens is I feel like you're almost sometimes, if you can remove yourself and almost like view yourself and almost like you're the actor in the movie. Yeah. So you're observing, well, how would I want to respond? And it's that kind of self awareness, and that's that's a really cool exercise. I've never heard it put that way, where you're kind of pre-rehearsing as yeah. if it's already going to happen, and what are you
2: going to do the next time it happens? Yeah. So you, know, you uh, can be very, observer. <laughs> right. you can, yeah. So yeah, you're so unattached to yeah. it. you know so it's it's really a, a terrific thing.
0: Cool. Well, we should
2: probably get to number two. Huh? Step
0: into the other person's shoes. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah. Also known as understand the clash of belief systems, right? Because they will step into their shoes. Sounds pretty easy until you think about it and you realize maybe it's not so easy because most of us have different size feet. So literally we can't step into the other person's shoes. Figuratively, we can't step into their minds. Why not? Because we're not them. And we all come from a a different set of beliefs. What is a belief? Well, a belief is a subjective truth, It's the truth as we understand the truth to be, which means it might be the truth or it might not be the truth. It might just be a belief. Well, you know, that belief system that we, we operate for or what I call an unconscious operating system is developed early on. And, and, uh, well, it's, it's really, it's a combination. Our belief system is a combination of upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, popular culture, right? But by the time we're little more than toddlers, our, our basic set of beliefs is pretty much etched in stone. And everything after that, kind of just gets added on. but And, and that's why I say, we, you know, we're, we're all subject to this unconscious operating system thinking that we are operating out of conscious choice when really we're operating out of a, you know, if you remember the original movie, The Matrix, right? Where people mm-hmm. didn't even realize that they were simply, you know, part of someone else's program, right? But here's the thing. Not only do we operate in this mainly unconscious way, but so does the other person. Now, to make it even more difficult, right, more convoluted, we tend to believe that other people see the world, have the same basic set of beliefs that we do, right? And yet it's not true. Now, this is why you hear people say things, oh, nobody would like that, right? Well, it's not true. It's not that nobody would. You wouldn't. Doesn't mean other people wouldn't. Or I would never treat someone that way. No, you wouldn't because that's not congruent with your beliefs, right? So, in other words, we all come from these different beliefs. And so most conflict is simply a misunderstanding that we're operating from two set, different set of beliefs, two different premises and don't even realize, it, right? So in order to step into another person's shoes, we need to kind of really get where they're coming from. And there's only one way to do that. and And this is everything about sales, right? And that is ask questions and listen. Ask questions and listen, not the surface kind of questions that you're, you're asking only so that you can, you know, while you're waiting for your turn to, to talk, but listening with not just with your ears, but with your eyes, with your, your posture, my co-author John David Mann came up with a great one. He says with the back of your neck, in other words, you're putting your entire self into listening to this person to, as Stephen Covey said, seek first to understand, Right. 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 That first part's so important about understanding because we don't know what they're thinking. And then even when they say something and we think we know, we still might not know. And that's why we have to ask clarifying questions to make sure that what they said, what they meant, is what we heard and understood. So that's how we step into their shoes. We do it through asking questions and and listening. And we make sure that that we don't just assume that we're both, on the same wavelength. That's why we, you know, we, we ask clarifying questions, you know, Dave, just to, to make sure I understand what you're saying, or, you know, just to make sure, you know, I haven't misinterpreted, but, but when you say blank, what specifically do you mean by, or is there a specific, you know, it's so in other words, we're going to always ask people to define their terms, but we're going to do so in a way that's very diplomatic and, and polite.
0: So, that right there, what's interesting in the world of financial services, an advisor out there sits down with someone the first time. And, you know, a lot of people would call a first meeting a discovery session, a fact finder. And the very best advisors that I've ever interacted with, they are incredible at those clarifying questions because, yeah. it, you know, active listening, when somebody can repeat back to you what you said, it shows they were listening, shows they cared. And then, you can actually go down a path of, no, I didn't mean that at all. I actually meant this. And now you can really seek to understand your point. I love that, uh, to where you can actually help and serve, uh, because you get to the root of what they're actually trying to accomplish. So I think just that right there, number two, step into the other person's shoes. If you're an advisor out there and you are not diving, we call it peeling back the onion, you know, mm-hmm. in multiple layers in that first interview, with a prospective client, you're missing a massive opportunity. So I love that example there, Bob. Have you, you. I know you've worked with a lot of advisors and, and people in the finance space over the years. Any thoughts around that specific to finance, just on that second step there?
2: Yeah, well, I would make sure that, you know, there are certain terms when we talk about security, when we talk about peace of mind, when we talk about legacy, when we talk about, you know, all these different terms that come up that have to do where, you know, remember, ultimately your prospective client is going to decide to invest with you because they believe it's more likely that working with you, they will be able to attain happiness, right? Whatever happiness means to them. (laughs) So with all the words that are used in terms of what this person might like, we need to make sure that our definitions of a certain thing are matching with their definition of that certain thing. And that's where clarification, clarifying questions really come into play. And and I think you said it beautifully, really, because to to not acknowledge that and pay attention to that, you're doing it at your peril. Yeah, I, there's once again,
0: that topic, we could go down a whole nother path. I think the interesting thing in finance is most prospects would walk into an office and say, "Yeah, hey, I already have a financial plan, you know, quote unquote, financial plan. That can mean so many different things in the world of finance. That can mean, you know, a couple insurance products Mm -hmm. that can mean a portfolio full of different stocks. Very rarely do I find when you're truly building a holistic plan, kind of CFP standard, most people don't walk into your office um, with that. And so the cool thing is if you go down that path of, well, what does a financial plan mean to you? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, here's what, how we define a financial plan and you can really create differentiation there because right. most people would walk in and I can tell you from experience, they actually don't have a financial plan. They have mm-hmm. a few products that they've collected over the years, kind of like a kitchen junk drawer. So cool. I love that. Uh, let's move to three. I know our time is limited today. Set the frame. What does that mean? Right.
2: Well, uh, a frame is the foundation from which everything else evolves. So when you set the proper frame or reset an already negatively set frame, you're really 80 to 90% of the way to the results you want. And, and you know, to illustrate a frame, I like to use a story, something that happened years ago that I observed. I was at a Dunkin' Donuts and there was a a, a little boy, a little toddler, two to three years old, and he was running around the restaurant, whatever it's called, Dunkin' Donuts mm-hmm. store, and his parents called him over to the table. He starts to walk over and he, he slips, he, he takes a spill on the floor. Uh, now he, he didn't hurt himself, but you could tell that he was, you know, kind of shaken up. He he was confused. This was not something in his, as part of his belief system. Now, first thing he did, if you're a parent, you know, the first thing he did was look at his mom and dad for their interpretation of the event. Okay. What happened happened. He wanted to know, okay, what happens next? Is this a good thing? A bad thing? Okay. Now I'm watching this. And I totally believe that had the parents gotten upset, panicky, rushed over, oh no, my poor baby, he'd have started to cry, right? But they handled it just absolutely beautifully. They walked over quickly, of course. They were concerned, but they had a very... Calm, right? They control their own emotions, right? They, right? But, uh, but they, they, they looked at him and they, they smiled and they, they laughed and they applauded and said, Oh, what a good trick that looks like so much fun. Well, the little boy immediately started to, to, to laugh. The parents set a productive frame from which he could operate. Okay. That's a frame easy to set a, a, po- a positive frame. The question is what happens when the potential client comes with a negative frame? Right. And, you know, this is the person who maybe comes into your office and says, well, you know, I'm I'm not sure what I want to do. Don't pressure me into, you know, blah, 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 you know, or something like that. Now, if we buy into that frame, right, that's a that's a obviously a defensive frame or it's a adversarial frame. Right. If we buy into that. Well, now we're it's it's pushing. Nothing good's going to come out of that. But instead, what if we were to again respond, control our own emotions, step into their shoes, reset the frame by saying something along the lines of, "Well, you know, Mr. Johnson, I thank you for sharing that with me. While I've been very fortunate to work with a, a great number of people and helping them form a, a powerful financial future." Whether or not I'm the right fit for you, we simply can't know without digging deeper and discovering what your needs are. So please know our conversation is for both of us to understand that. And if it turns out we're a fit, great. If not, that's okay too. Now, what you've done is you've moved this from an adversarial frame into one of two allies who are simply both uh looking out for his best interest, which is what he cares about. I love that. Yeah, there's... uh The interesting thing is how these
0: stack, because without mastering the emotions, the story about the parents Uh there without Mm -hmm. them checking that they can't, you know, they can't efficiently set the frame. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, very cool. Okay. Let's, let's move on to four. If you're good with that on Uh communicating with tact and empathy.
2: Yeah. You know, my my dad always defined tact as the language of strength. And I always love that because sometimes it just takes a lot of strength right, to Mm -hmm. to speak tactfully and diplomatically to someone who really, you know, kind of you don't want to and so Mm -hmm. forth. But, you know, tact is really communicating an idea to someone that they normally would not be agreeable to and doing it in such a way that not only are they not defensive toward you and resistant to your idea, but they're actually open to you and more accepting of your idea. That's that's tact. Now, empathy, which is its cousin, right? Empathy is by definition, the identification with or vicarious experiencing of another person's feelings, right? Right. But here's the thing about that: we don't understand their feelings necessarily, because again, going back to belief systems, we're not them. So when we said earlier, you know, we don't know what's in their their head. Well, we don't know what's in their heart either. But here's the good thing about this: empathy does not necessarily mean you understand exactly how they feel, because you might not. It means you understand they're feeling something, and that this something is distressful to them, and that you are there to help them work through it. And you communicate this, sure, with what you say and how you say it, that's part of it. But you know, Brad, it's really you communicate it just by the way you show up and just by the energy you put out there and the genuine caring you have for that person. So much
0: of this, Bob, applies to uh, how great advisors interact with their clients. I think the empathy piece, well, it's, it's, I'm, I'm actually, I want to ask you. So how are there questions? Are there certain frameworks? Like if I was an advisor back to that first appointment, somebody comes in, they have a million bucks. They're 65 years old, husband, wife, and you know, they're, they're overwhelmed, you know, everything that's going on in the market currently, that'll create that pretty quickly. But I'm curious, how would you go about, Hey, there's a belief system there. And you're seeing that belief system has them maybe riding a roller coaster of ups and downs in the market that's creating a lot of stress. How would you start to transition to communicate, hey, would you, know, would you be open to a different view? Are there certain phrases, words you use to kind of start to tiptoe into that where they might, you might want to communicate a different way of thinking and then being open to that?
2: Yeah, well, one of them is just simply understanding that they may have a lot of feelings about what they don't know. They can be a high net worth of client or prospective client, but that doesn't mean they understand money and investments mm-hmm. and they may know they don't understand money and investments. It's not a strength of theirs. And so, you know, sometimes it's using an iMessage and saying, you know, it, it just might be might, might be me. You know, I'm getting the feeling that you have some thoughts and concerns, which, by the way, makes perfect sense. This is very important to you. And I would expect that you have a lot of, you know, concerns. What I would love you to, to do is to feel comfortable asking me whatever you feel is important, because this is, you know, this is what I do. So while, mm-hmm. you know, this is something I do every day. So I just want to let you know that my goal is to help you invest in a way that's both comfortable for you and a way that's going to to attain for you the results that, that you want. And when you do that, you have created sort of the environment where they feel safer sharing with you those concerns that they may not have shared with you before. You haven't blamed them. You haven't said, this is what you're doing wrong and this is what I wrote, right? But instead, you're letting them know that you are basically there to answer those questions. You are letting them know that this is something that you do all the time so that you do understand the situation and that they are more than welcome to ask you those questions and discuss those concerns in a very non-judgmental manner. That's
0: awesome. One of the tools you just used there that, that we coach on a lot is just kind of asking permission. Instead of telling, you already said it multiple times, ask questions. And there, you know, nobody wants to be told you're doing this a different way than you should. But right. I, I'm curious. So if you open with that comment that you just did, could you extend onto that? Hey, if at any time during this conversation, I see that there might be an opportunity or maybe a different strategy you haven't been aware of or, or utilized in the past, would you be open to me sharing that with you? Is, is that I, fair? You know, kind of tipping in, tiptoeing into here's, there might be a different way or do I have permission to share that with you along the way? Have you yeah. utilized different tools
2: like that? You know, Brad, I think, I think that's just such an important part of of any type of counseling, you know, when you think about it, what is, you know, sales is a matter of giving another person a a number of things. You're giving them time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and Mm -hmm. immense value. Now the counsel that you're giving them does need to be with their buy-in. And that's why, as you mentioned, asking for permission to share an idea and sometimes i even use because I, I'm a big believer in giving the out or back door. So people feel autonomous. They have a choice. And that is sharing an idea you may or may not be interested in pursuing. And when you do that, it's, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's my choice, right? And, and this advisor respects that. Yeah.
0: You're relieving pressure out exactly. of the conversation. There, there is no wrong way to go. One of, one of my right. friends, Chris Smith, he says, act as if you've got nowhere to get. And you're acting as if you've got nowhere to get. It's like, love we could yeah. use it. Or maybe not, but Great idea I'll Chris. put it out there and talk through that. So, okay, uh, are we good for step yeah. number five? Sure. So as a reminder, five secrets of genuine influence. Right. That's what we're covering here. If you're tuning in late, let go of
2: having to be right. Mm-hmm. And this one's an interesting one because it kind of, how can you be influential if you're you know not always gonna be right? Well, that's what helps you become influential. Because when you can let go of having to be right, that doesn't mean you're, you're not wanting to be right, that you're not desiring to be right, that you're not going to prepare to be right. And of course you are. You're going to do your very best to be right. What it means is this. You're going to lose your emotional attachment to having to be right. When you do this, a couple of beautiful things happen. Okay. First, you put yourself in the position to be a learner. You actually put yourself in a position to learn more because you're not stuck on, you know, having to be right. You're you're allowing for the for the possibility that you may not be 100 percent right or you may not be, you know, right about now this as opposed to the person whose life philosophy seems to be my mind's already made up. Don't confuse me with the facts right? That person can never know more than what they know right now. And typically, the the more someone is stuck on having to be right, Brad, the less they usually are right. And so so that person who's willing to go into learner's mode creates that environment where they're more likely to, to actually be right. Here's the other part. When this other person realizes that you're not trying to be a know-it-all, that you're more of a, as my friend Dan Rockwell calls it, a learn-it-all, when you're not looking to be right by making them wrong, <clears throat> they now lower their defenses. They now understand that you're someone who your only goal is to seek the truth wherever that may lead. And when that's the case, now they're more likely to let go of having to be right and join you in the search for, for truth, again, wherever that may lead. So this is why great leaders and great influencers have lost their attachment to having to be right and why they're so very effective and more trusted.
0: And one of the things we say at Triad a lot is check your ego at the door. Oh. And it's a, it's so spot on with that last principle. It's, you know, coaching. I, I've been very fortunate. I've been able to coach some of the top independent financial advisors the last decade and a half that I've been in this industry. And a common theme, Bob, that you just hit on the very best, regardless of how successful they are, are continue to be growth minded. They don't know it all. They haven't figured it all out. And that's why they continue to grow and excel and exceed, you know, something that they very few would think was possible just a few years later. I heard Microsoft, I think it's at Microsoft and you can correct me. Maybe you've heard this. One of the ways they do this, one of the frameworks they talk about is they have a saying that says, you are not your idea. And so they take this idea that people kind of commingle with their ego, right. and they just set the idea on the table, I love and then they combat the idea around and you know argue the idea and have a bunch of really smart people refine the idea without taking personal offense if it's not exactly you know, what they originally put out there. Had you, have you heard, is that Microsoft? I
2: I don't know. I hadn't heard that about Microsoft, but I love the idea. I know Ray Dalio talks about that in his book, uh, Principles, which is a a fantastic book, but I'll tell you another book I really recommend. And please excuse me for turning my back one moment. I know that's not. You're good. You've got a few back there. It might take a second. Adam Grant uh, wrote a wonderful book a couple of years ago called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. And I, I really think that this book is one of the most important books of our times.
0: Yeah. Why is that? Can give me one reason why?
2: He goes through the entire, I would say in summary, the aspect of human nature that is so ego attached to having to be right that we really cannot see where we're wrong. Okay, this is where cognitive dissonance, this is where confirmation bias comes into play and it's absolutely so counterproductive to our success as individuals and as a society. And he just, to me, not only outlines it, but provides so many just fantastic, fantastic examples of, of how to really be able to check our premises and have those aha moments. But he also talks about how to be more persuasive. And some of that is by again, letting go, of having to be totally right and look for where that other person is also, you know, has a point and is right and taking it from there. But yeah, I just, I just think this is an absolutely terrific book. Mm.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that, Bob. We've got a lot of readers, obviously that listen to this podcast. So we'll put that in the show notes, by the way, I'm going to send, I'm going to get with you and the team and we're going to drop some uh, books out. We're going to drop some book bombs out. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we'll get, we'll get a couple in your, uh, in your collection, your personal collection that you've written. And we'll get those out to the audience because I know you've got a handful to pick from. I know our time here is essentially at an end. I would love to really, uh, ask you one last question. And I wasn't planning on asking this, but you went to the library behind you. So those watching on video, (laughs) Bob has quite the library behind him. You good for one last question before we wrap? Sure. Okay. So, I'm going to make an assumption here. I'm going to check in with you, though, just like we've learned on this conversation today. <laughs> I'm going to assume you're a pretty well-read guy that reads a few books a year. Is that fair?
2: Yes, it is fair.
0: Okay. And you got a handful of them there behind you. So let's rewind and let's say Bob Berg. At six, did you say 62-year-old Bob Berg? Uh,
2: 64. And
0: 64-year-old Bob Berg.
2: Five in a couple months.
0: Okay, so almost 65-year-old Bob Berg. Knowing what you know today and all the wisdom that you've learned along the way, it's your responsibility now to go back to 18 year old Bob Berg and you're his mentor. And you get to pick five books, and they can be on that library shelf behind you or they can be somewhere else. But you've got five books, only five books that you can gift young 18 year old Bob Berg and say, hey, read these, absorb them, dog ear them, and these are going to help you get where you want to go in life. What are those five books?
2: I would say the first one would be the secret of selling anything. And this is by a guy by the name of Harry Brown, B R O W N E. This was there's a, a story behind this that I, that I won't get into just because of time limitations. But to me, it's the ultimate book on understanding human nature. Now he, he relates it to sales, but really it's a book on understanding humanity. What makes people say and do the things they do. Uh, this this to me is just fantastic. It was written in the 60s, wasn't mm. published till 2008, I don't think. Written in the 60s, wow. so la- language is a little dated uh, and so forth, but absolutely. Is it
0: still in print? Can people go out and buy well, it? Well, it's an,
2: yeah, in here's what I would suggest. If you go to burg.com slash blog, write in in the search, the secret of selling, and it will come up to the, the review I did on it. I wrote a, a review. Yeah, and then okay. at the bottom, I think I I link to the person who sells it because it's an independent publisher, and you can also get it on Amazon. Uh, so that's one I would say. I um, think in Grow Rich, I would say Psychocybernetics would be one that we should mm-hmm. all read. It was written in 1960 by Dr. Maxwell Maltz, and that really is. Un- psych- uh, psych- can you say that one Yes, yeah. psycho-cybernetics. psychocybernetics. Okay can't find it, but it's back there. Psycho cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Moss. So this is the ultimate book on understanding how our belief systems are what either hold us back or move us forward. And it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I'd mm-hmm. say how to win friends and influence people would be another one. One of my favorites. Yeah. And then I'd also say the Science of Getting Rich, uh, written back, and here's a, they have a retro version they came up with, written in 1910 by Wallace D. Waddles, And really it's all about how to, uh, you know, understanding that the value you bring to the marketplace is what's going to represent the income that you bring in. But it's a, a small, short, brilliant read. So those are just five, but, you know, there's there's many more, of course, that I would recommend.
0: Thanks, Bob. You're the man. We're actually rolling out a triad. That was a little bit of a selfish request because we're rolling out a triad book club. So now I have five (laughs) great options to pick from there besides your own. So, well, Bob, as always, you always over deliver. So thanks so much for carving out some time for the audience here. Can't wait to get this out to the world and look forward to the next time that our paths cross in person.
2: My pleasure, Brad. Always great to be with you. Thank you. All right, Bob. Take care.
0: Okay, on to this week's featured review. This one comes to us from Russ, R-U-S-S, five stars. I'm a young advisor turning 31 here soon with six years into the business and building my own, and I am very excited for the new podcast. I enjoyed learning about Brad's journey and can't wait to see what's in store as I'm looking to grow my business to be one where my work is and family will be integral parts, and I can be a very present parent, but also change the lives of my clients. I come from a collegiate football background and love to learn from others who are successful as I believe that iron sharpens iron, and I feel like I'm going to get a lot of great takeaways that I can add or enhance my business with as I begin the journey further into my 30s and for the next 30 to 40 years in the business. Russ, first off, thanks for the kind words and the review. And if I remember, I believe we've actually connected on Facebook. And I believe this is the Russ, the Ohio State former football player that walked on. And number one, just love the energy. Man, I wish at the age of 31, you know, I, I look back, that was what? Man, for me, 31. So that would have been 2011. So I guess podcast existed, but I just feel like the the uh, YouTube and podcast environment to just learn and grow in this business was almost at a infancy stage as compared to where it is today. I feel like there's absolutely no excuse this day and age. If you want to grow and evolve as an advisor, as a human, there's plenty of resources out there. And I just don't take that for granted. I know everybody's limited on time. And just means a lot that this podcast, the Do Business, Do Life podcast, would be one of the places you would turn to grow your business and grow your life, your freedom, everything that you talked about, just kind of integrating the two. So thanks for the kind words, Russ. Love the former collegiate football connection, although you were at uh, the Ohio State. I was not quite at that level. But anyway, keep that same work ethic. I've found that many of the principles takes to be a great teammate. The effort it takes in the weight room to get out there on the field and actually uh, get some playing time a lot of that crosses right over to a lot of the effort and work that it takes to be a great advisor and build a great team so keep doing what you're doing man stay in touch and glad the show is adding value thanks for listening to this week's episode of the do business do life podcast As we wrap, for access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from all of our show's guests, don't forget to visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash podcast. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners and other financial advisors out there that can benefit from the show. Trust me, it really does help. So thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. These conversations are intended to provide financial advisors with ideas, strategies, concepts, and tools that could be incorporated into their advisory practice. Advisors are ultimately responsible for ensuring implementation of anything discussed is in accordance with any and all regulatory and compliance responsibilities and obligations.